0: Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever 843-664-8989 HeritageDigital.com Rock and roll It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast Here's J.C. Sherbert It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast J.C. Sherbert here with you. It's a Friday, January 28th. Hope all of you out there in Gamecock land and elsewhere, if you're tuning into this podcast, are doing well. I certainly am. I had a really good week this week. Uh, certainly, it's been an interesting week for the South Carolina Gamecocks across all sports. Uh, it's almost February, so Mark Kingston, baseball coach, had his preseason press conference the other day. <clears throat> they are not ranked in some of the preseason polls. I know that's unacceptable to... A lot of people out there, but uh, we'll see what happens at the end. Sometimes these preseason rankings uh don't really tell the whole story. Sometimes they do, <clears throat> but I know everybody's used to being ranked. Uh, you know, if you're South Carolina baseball, but uh I guess uh the powers that be or the experts don't don't think that this year. Uh game guys have a lot of pitching coming back, all that good stuff. But uh news and notes segments always brought to you by Heritage Digital. Uh, Again, like I said at the opening, if you got a business and your IT guy or gal is not cutting it, uh, you don't need to deal with that. Just call Matt at Heritage Digital, have him set you up. It's a turnkey solution, one low monthly fee. It doesn't matter where you're at. You don't have to be in South Carolina. Uh, Just get that done. Gamecock basketball Wednesday night. Watched a lot of that game, actually the whole game. Kind of like the Georgia game, you know, anxious moments at home against Vandy. Vandy had an 11-point lead second half. All of a sudden, Carolina comes alive. Cousinard plays well. Stevenson, Jared uh, Jer- uh, Reese, Jared Reese had a lot of big shots, and so that's two in a row. So, so where are they at now? Okay, so that, that that's the question with this basketball team. And you know, there's obviously every time Carolina loses a game, there's a, a group that you know wants to fire Frank Martin immediately. Uh, sometimes in game, even games they win, and that's fine. I mean, that's to be expected uh, after the. Almost departure last year, and, and the feeling in the you know, it's probably a, a true feeling. If, if there's no NCAA tournament this year, there very well could be a change. Um, but I want right, everybody. I mean, this team's 12 and seven, and uh, they're three and four in the league. Two of those wins are over Vandy, uh, the others against Georgia, so they haven't really had big wins in, in the SEC. And uh, what's also keeping their net ranking down is you know, you have. Uh, a Georgetown team you scheduled that's supposed to be uh, decent—that's not. They're not very good at all. They're one of the worst teams in the Big East. And then Florida State was supposed to be an ACC contender, uh, and they've not seen their net ranking go up. So those are those are quad two and three wins that are. I'm mean, like, shoot. I think Georgetown may be a quad four. I'll need to look at that. But uh, that aren't helping. The, on the on the other hand, UAB is. Uh, Western Kentucky is not. Uh, the loss to Princeton looms large because Princeton, although they're the best team in the Ivy, they can't get out of the 115, 108 to 115 range in the net. So it's a what a Q3 loss, Q2 loss uh on a neutral court earlier. Uh so, so the bottom line with this basketball team, guys, is they need quality wins. If they're gonna make a move, you know, they need quality wins. And, and in sports, a lot of times it's about opportunity. Uh you you, you, you can't dwell on, well, if they'd have done this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. Um, It's almost February. So there's opportunity ahead starting on Saturday. Uh, The SEC Big 12 Challenge is going on on Saturday. Carolina's not a part of that this year. But uh, they're playing a former Big 12 team at Texas A&M at 830. Buzz Williams, uh, really, you know, when you look at them, I think they're 15-5. and So obviously the record's a lot better. You know, because they've they've really struggled uh in his first two years. I knew he was gonna turn it around eventually, though Buzz is too good of a coach. Uh and the Aggies are are 15 and 5. Now they haven't they've lost some close ones, you know, in, in league play. They've won some close ones in league play. Uh it's not going to be easy going out there, but it's winnable. It, it is winnable, and it's a chance for South Carolina to get one of those Q1 wins. Then they play Mississippi State on the road. Uh Mississippi State, I think just looking at kind of their body of work is probably a lot better than people are talking about right now. Uh, But Carolina plays them close uh, at times. They've won in Starkville before again, not an easy place, but an opportunity. And then you got Tennessee and Kentucky coming to town. Uh, So those four games are opportunities for Q1, maybe Q2 wins uh, depending on where the rankings end up. And then it's at UGA and at Ole Miss, those two teams are struggling. So you know, there's kind of an opportunity here if the Gamecocks can maybe win four of six, uh, get to 16 and nine, seven and six in the league. Uh, and then you got the home stretch, the final five games, which also, also presents some opportunities with LSU at home, Alabama, some schools like that. Not going to be easy. Uh, not going to be something that, you know, I, I would blame anybody for if they say it's not likely. But what you want to be this time of year in college basketball is, is in position. And uh, they are in position if they go out and take care uh, of business. And uh, I don't want to make it sound that easy because South Carolina could go play really well and lose uh, against all these teams, quite frankly. But I think this these next four to six games are going to be – this is the defining moment of this particular 2021-2022 uh, basketball season. I, I do like this. I'll say this. You know, these guys in some games this year – uh, they're They're a very streaky team, and uh I think that when you look at their body of work, there are games that they just they don't know like they know how to play basketball, like you know Florida's an example of that at home um there are games they play great in the first half, bad in the second Arkansas comes to mind there uh, I mentioned the u a b game earlier they they won that one, but they did blow a big second half lead uh you know Tennessee they were in that one until the second half or late in the first uh but that was an ugly game obviously uh but then there's been games you know georgia down came back one at the end vandy on wednesday down came back one at the end uh florida state like i mentioned earlier down and came back at the end um didn't mention the coastal game because obviously they didn't compete in that one uh western kentucky earlier this year down came back and won so you know, th- th- this team is it, it, streaky. That's the best way to describe it. So the idea is to get get on a hot streak here um, and just win. I mean, you know, win the games. It's not, uh, it, not going to be easy, like I said, but it's not an insurmountable task for this basketball team. Tip-off time is 8.30 p.m. from College Station, Texas, Saturday night. Uh, I think SEC Network is the TV for that one. Uh, and so we'll see. We'll see what happens out there. South Carolina's done pretty well against Texas A&M the last few years, uh, out there and here uh, when they've had to play. But um, that's the ball game. That's that's the game coming up. You know, Gamecocks and Aggies on uh, Saturday night. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Gamecocks do have an official visitor in this weekend. A familiar name to some of you that have followed South Carolina recruiting. Uh, Malik Heath uh, from Mississippi State. He's a grad transfer. Uh, Got better this year at Mississippi State after not having such a great first year out of JUCO, uh, playing for Mike Leach and the Pirate, Steve Spurrier Jr. Those guys, you know those guys. Uh, 6'3", 210, big body guy, can catch the football. Uh, Junior actually did a really good job, as he does, coaching him up and getting him a lot better. Uh, Leaving again, uh, coming in for an official visit. South Carolina, I remember, was second for him out of junior college uh, the first time around. Uh, and he's from Jackson, Mississippi, so he stayed close to home. Uh, in Jackson State, we all know the story there with Deion Sanders. You know, they're getting players. They're beating big schools on players, so they are a factor. But, uh, you know, South Carolina's going to shoot a shot with him. He did like the game packs the first time around. You know, Justin Stepp, uh, Taylor Edwards, the director of player personnel there, all those guys have been in on him. So he takes his official this weekend and um, – Obviously the last time he took an official uh was during the Must Champ era. So there's a lot it's kind of a different vibe now. So we'll see if he likes that vibe or not. I uh I tend to think the GameCocks will probably you know put on a good show for him. Uh it's just gonna be a matter of, hey, do you want to stay in you know, Jackson State or whatever? And and you know, or do you want to come to Carolina and continue to play in the Southeastern Conference? Now if they get him, I think they're pretty much done. Uh, with recruiting for 2022. Maybe there's a spot that opens up. Maybe a guy enrolls late. Uh, there was news, Hale McGranahan reporting this. Uh, DQ Smith, the Quandre Smith from Spring Valley, was a late commit. They thought maybe they would put him on 2023 and roll him late. Looks like he is going to sign on signing day uh, and be part of uh, the regular old 2022 class. Really like Smith, I think. You know, the Gamecocks offered him early as a deep defensive back. He thought he may want to play quarterback because that's what he does in high school, considered Georgia Southern, was committed to them for a while, and then decided, hey, I'm going to stay close to home. Physically, he reminds me of Corey Jenkins. You guys remember Corey Jenkins, starting quarterback back in 02 uh, for the Gamecocks from Columbia as well. But they moved Corey to defense late. Um, boy, he was a bone-crunching hitter, very physical player on that side of the ball, which I think Smith is. Uh, and ended up playing in the NFL on defense. So uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily sitting here saying D.Q. Smith is a future NFL linebacker like Corey Jenkins was, but just there, there's some things that remind me uh, of Jenkins with Smith right now to the fact he's from Columbia and a quarterback and a guy that's probably better suited on defense. So, you know, look for him to sign uh, and uh, be a part of the class normally, uh, according to the most recent reports uh, out there. Uh, so Malik Heath visiting Smith is coming in normally uh, and you've got uh, Texas A&M in basketball uh, coming up. Gamecocks women's continue Gamecock women's team continues to win. Uh, that's a good thing, uh, you know, and, and they continue to be the number one team in the country and they keep going on and on and on. It was an interesting story about that Yukon game that they canceled Uh to, you know make up the SEC game with old miss. Uh I agree with that. I think uh you know you've already played UConn once this year. You, you kind of want to make sure you don't get in a situation where you're a game short in the SEC. And so I get that. Uh and that happened and so so here we go. Um all right so that's uh that's the deal there. That's the deal. Uh, South Carolina uh by the way. Uh, ESPN, Peter Burns. Uh, One more, more women's basketball note. <laughs> Peter Burns uh, ranked the biggest home court advantages in all of SEC basketball right now. Is Auburn men, Arkansas men, LSU men, and that shows you when LSU's winning. That's good. Uh, they will show up. <laughs> Kentucky at fourth, and then the Gamecock women at fifth. So all the fans out there, uh, Congratulations. Uh, for being really the best fan base in women's basketball these days. Tennessee's up there. UConn's always up there. But uh, uh, the, the fans, as they call them, are, are doing an outstanding job. That's a tribute to uh, the Gamecock community at large, I think. And, and I think that, honestly, the men, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We, we, we'll probably talk about that this offseason, you know, about what to do. Uh, I, can, I can talk about it until I'm blue in the face about what I think needs to be done, but never seems to be done. And, you know, maybe we'll have a discussion about it. Maybe, you know, is it as simple as winning? I don't know because the team's kind of winning. You know, (laughs) I guess I just – I don't know. I don't know. Are people just done with Frank Martin? Uh, I tend to think it has nothing to do with that because if you look at the numbers, you know, South Carolina gets a large number of fans for men's game. They're spread throughout the arena. And a lot of your folks with the lower-level seats don't show up. It's on TV. It looks like it's empty, but it's really not. Uh, so, anyway, that's what's going on there with game in the world of the Gamecocks from a news and notes perspective. And now it's time for the analysis segment, uh, which is always brought to you by Cindy Searfoss from Caldwell Banker Kane Real Estate, my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue, 864-414-5271. Cindy's married to a Game Gamecock fan. She's been in the upstate 35 years. You know, the real estate market's crazy right now. We don't have to go through all that. She can navigate this for you and get you the best return on your house. Or if you're wanting to buy the best price on a house, they're expensive right now. Um, Cindy Sirfoss, call Wall Banker Kane, 864 414 5271, or email her, C C S E A R F O S S, at c b c a i n e c b c a i n e.com. Please tell all these advertisers that uh, JC sent you. That really helps me out if you enjoy the podcast uh, to take advantage of some of our sponsors, obviously. Um, okay, so I'll talk recruiting rankings, team recruiting rankings right now. And all right, so 24-7 sports this year, and and, and I've said this before, I think the idea is really good because they're they, they've got a tab on the team rankings that sort of includes – transfers and all that I, I i like that you know the gamecocks if you if you look at it in the sec they have the number three transfer class in the league uh behind Ole miss and lsu that are 12 and eight and guys have seven i don't know if Heath bumps them up or not um you know and then they got an overall thing that you know maybe you should count the portal guys a little more in the algorithm but that brings the Gamecocks in at 22nd in the country and in the SEC. They're 11th ahead of Tennessee, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt. Um, all right. So I'm going to concentrate for the purposes of this on the, on the high school rankings, which is the – they're the main rankings you're going to see. And th- these are the ones that everybody's going to sit there and talk about all year because it's, it's kind of the, the portal rankings and all that are a new thing. Game guys are sitting at 12th. Florida's right behind them. They'll probably Game guys are probably going to finish 13th, folks, you know, which is just above Vandy. Mm-hmm. After finishing 14th last year. Uh, I, I know some people are disappointed with that. Um, and I will I will say this. I I I personally when I look at this class, uh, I see a lot of potential and upside. Uh, what I don't see, and, and this is good for this year for the Gamecocks, it, it are a lot of guys that you say, okay, he's going to come in and, and beat this guy out, or he's going to come in and start, or he's going to go in the two deep automatically. Uh, yeah, Peyton Williams and Anthony Rose and maybe Keenan Nelson, uh, Stone Blanton at linebacker, Landon Samson, definitely at receiver. Uh, maybe Kiwan Banks at nickel simply because they like him at nickel. Uh, but then there's a lot of guys that are going to need a year. You know, most of the in-state guys. You know, of the in-state guys, I've said this before. Xavier Short from Chapin probably the most college-ready at this point. Nick um, Emenwaire is a special player, uh, potentially. But but you know, is he going to be 230 pounds? Well, I mean, what is? You know, he's going to have to develop. You know, off the, off the three offensive linemen have to develop. You know, Emery Floyd probably is going to have to put on weight. Uh, you know, the, then you got two quarterbacks, Tanner Bailey and, and Braden Davis, who are going to have to develop. Uh, the defensive linemen, uh, depending on who ends up being an edge and who's an end, you know, the the or I'm sorry, who's an edge and who's a, a tackle or an interior guy, they, you know, the Gamecocks have a lot of interior defensive linemen coming back next year, um, including T.J. Sanders and Nick Barrett from the last class, who they really like. Uh, a lot of older players coming back, MJ Webb, uh, behind your normal people like Hemingway and Huntley uh, and Zach Pickens and uh, Rick Sandage. I mean, you name it. Uh, so, so my point of all this is, is 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 this class is full of guys that that probably are a year or two away, and I think that in you know what's fortunate about that is with the portal, the transfer portal work, uh, plugging some of those holes like at receiver, um, you know, and running back, defensive end, you know, safety, tight end, quarterback, uh, with the work they've done in the portal. Combined with a, 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 a probably a, because of COVID, the COVID year in the redshirt, you got an abnormally large number of older players coming back. And the Gamecocks have to get like, have to trim double digit spots by August to get everybody in and ready to go. And I wouldn't be alarmed by that. Uh, there's some guys that probably would do better elsewhere uh, right now. Uh, and then there will probably be a surprise. You know, somebody leaves. Uh, so you look at it in, You know, because of the work in the portal, you know I I would not get too uh, over the edge uh, about having a class that's ranked 13th in the SEC. And and if you look at the numbers too, you know the Gamecocks are what 216.3 in the high school rankings, high school slash JUCO rankings. Um, About that's about the same numerically as. The class in 2016 that Must Champ signed, which was a similar type of class with guys that, you know, like DJ Wanham and Sidarius Hutcherson and uh, TJ Brunson, uh, you know, all those guys are in the NFL and all those guys were not uh, your highly rated guys. So when you look at it from that standpoint, and that perspective, you know, that was a good class. That was probably one of Must Champ's better classes, to be honest, because you know, the guys like Brian Edwards, you know, was in that class. Uh, you know, they stepped in and played a lot of football uh, those first three or four years under Muschamp and or three years. You know, in the first three years were winning, winning or bowl seasons. You know, first one wasn't a winning season, it was a bowl season. So, uh, you know, you, you, you look at it from that standpoint, and I think you take a class like that, uh, given the fact that it's the first full cycle, given the fact that you have a bunch of guys coming back, so, so it's not like you're sitting there going, "Gosh, you know they have a developmental recruiting class full of high school guys." You know, you take the portal out of it, no portal guys, uh, and and if you didn't have the older guys coming back, you'd probably sit there and say, "Well, this this year's going to kind of be a a building year in 2022." But that's not the case, and so that's good. I think that's something that's really been understated about the situation Shane Beamer inherited this year or, or South Carolina. Uh, is that there was a base of players you know now all these guys weren't ideal were there some holes absolutely uh, was it huge that Jalen Foster stepped up at safety last year absolutely uh, is it still an ideal situation at safety and receiver no you know did they need more tackles offensive tackle wise yes you know so I you know I, I look at it and I'm like well you know it, it's a good thing that the you had the red shirt COVID year, because some of these guys are going to be like 23, 24 years old, those guys can play. Now, everybody else had that situation too. So I don't know that it'll translate to wins. Uh, but my point about all this is, is that, okay, so you finish 13th in the SEC with the high school recruiting, which is the one everybody's going to talk about. That's totally fine, uh, you know, in my opinion uh is it ideal no you always want to be kind of middle of the pack it's still top 25 nationally and there's still not a lot of difference numerically uh when you stack up those classes kind of at the bottom uh and and again i'm talking high school rankings here uh of the sec for example the gamecocks are right by mississippi state mississippi state's got 22 commits uh same number of Four stars, three stars, whatever. And two sixteen point four versus two point sixteen, two sixteen point three. Ole Miss is two sixteen point eight eight. Arkansas two eighteen point seven six. LSU is two nineteen point eight one. With only thirteen high school guys, you know. So you are not, you know. Auburn two twenty six point three eight. Tennessee two twenty seven point zero five. And Tennessee sixth. So, you know that's like. 10 points away and I will go and show you this here. Uh, If Jay Sean Barham had stayed with the class and he didn't, and that's fine. Gamecocks are 224.07, which puts them at eighth between LSU and Auburn and right knocking on the door of Tennessee. So, you know, and look, Landon Sampson didn't get a four-star, whatever. Uh, we, I think we all know that kid's pretty good. Um, Braden Davis dropped out of four-star ratings. But the, the star ratings aren't – the stars are just there as for fans, okay? It's, the numbers are what kind of differentiates the team rankings and stuff. Uh, and it's just one of those things. I mean, the Gamecocks do have, you know, .87 and above, and that's kind of your high three-star cutoff. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, point eight, seven and above. I mean, that, that's a pretty good class. And and you know, then you look down at the bottom and you see Casey Henry, who everybody believes you know, every and when I say everybody, everybody that kind of has dug into it, he's the best offensive lineman in the class, but but he's the lowest ranked. You know, you, you got local guys like Short and Smith. Who were late additions? You got Horton, who played eight man football. You can't realistically rank him high, even though he could be a really good Nicky Ware, who I mentioned, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I, w- I would encourage everybody uh, to not panic. Now, I know we'll see some panic, <laughs> it's inevitable with any SEC fan base, including you fine people. Uh, but I was encouraging you not to panic. Now, look, I don't I have an article coming out you know, about this, about next steps for this football program. Because, okay, the the first step, really, uh, overall, when you're talking overall, uh, is to go back to a bowl, reach the minimum standards of the program, which have been set since 2000. Uh, Used to be bowl wasn't necessarily, bowl was a good year. (laughs) Uh, Now it's kind of the minimum. So get back to that after going six and 16, you know the last you know losing 19 8 and 19 last 27 games prior to this year get back to a bowl and they did that and they accomplished it in a a different way because they didn't beat kentucky or missouri but they beat florida and auburn to kind of make up for it and then they won the bowl game you know beat a, a north carolina team that wasn't very good but was supposed to be good so that's uh you take them out. You can get them. You know, Auburn, Florida, North Carolina. You know, all finished six and seven. I don't, I don't think anybody would, you know, mistaken those teams with juggernauts. But those teams have talent. I mean, you know, Auburn. If you look at recruiting or whatever, they recruit as well as anybody. You know, same with uh, North Carolina recently. Same with Florida. So you, you sort of look at it, and you know, you take those wins when you can get them. You know, because it it could have been, you know, it could have been three and nine years. Easily. Easily. So you take that. So, 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 so what's next? Well, besides, you know, obviously you got to start beating Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee again. Uh, but in recruiting, what, what's next, you know, because I think everybody's pretty satisfied with it, you know, other than people are going to freak out about the rankings. Uh, Cause you're going to hear it from outside pundits over and over again. And that's fine. Uh, sign more blue chip guys out of the high school. Ranks. Uh, you know, y- y- you look at the portal guys, and I'm like, wow, they're you know, these guys are all what you'd call blue chippers, you know, uh, including Malik Heath, who'd probably, you know, rank at least as a three-star. You know, Terrell Dawkins, really good player, great feedback on him. All of them, all of them. Christian Bill Smith, you know, Lavoisier Carroll. <laughs> you know, they've done a good job. You know, done a good job. And then there's a lot of these guys with multiple years. You have have Spencer Rattler, obviously, is a huge get. You know, his presence alone, uh, I think, increases the expectations for next season. But, you know, Spencer's grade, according to the transfer rankings, was a 91. It was 99 out of high school. Okay. Uh, and then they don't count. when you're talking about overall rankings, they don't count the portal as much as high school guys, which I think there's a discussion to be had there. Uh, it's just a little flawed. The system's a little flawed right now in terms of determining numerically actual value. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Spencer, when Spencer Rattler does not count as much as a Jay Sean Barham, that, that's a little bit, you know, you, you got to kind of think about that. Uh, so, they've, so they've done well in the portal. I, I thought really last season, considering everything guys, I mean, look, you know, the 2021 class, I, I think's, You know, depending on how some of these guys do. Okay, so Colby Fields is gone. We talked about that earlier this week. But, you know, you you got Bam Martin, Scott, who they're high on, Colton Goffier, quarterback, uh, they like, Uh, T.J. Sanders and and Nick Barrett, who I mentioned on defensive line. Juju McDowell obviously was the star of this class. Omega Blake is a guy that may surprise some people this year, to be honest. Uh, I think that as the season went on, they really liked him. Ladarian Craig, Janderis Morgan. You know, you got Marcellus Dial in that class, Isaiah Menoros. You know, for a small class like that that was ranked 14th in the SEC, you know, there's some guys that can help. And they had to put it together over Zoom with a new staff with nobody being able to visit, you know, that kind of thing. And during a coaching transition where he just went 2-8. and You know, then you look at what they did in the portal. Now, Zeb Nolan, Karan Prunty, uh, Carlos Patel, they're gone. You know, they're not coming back, but, you know, and Brown finally came on. You know, David Spalding, Jordan Strong, I think, could be a beast this coming year. Jason Brown, even though he left for Virginia Tech, man, look, he helped them win games, right? (laughs) Uh, EJ Jenkins helped them win games, especially with blocking. Debo Williams, promising linebacker, and those are all from the portal last year, so – You know, you kind of look at who they've got, and actually you drill it down, and, you know, that's – the portal thing's been really solid for two years. Maybe great if Rattler comes in, Stoddner comes in, you know, uh, these guys, uh, Christian Bill Smith, all those guys end up playing ball. I think Antoine Wells is going to really surprise a lot of you guys. Uh, But, you know, look, let's face it, you know, you you can't – or let me back up. We don't know yet (laughs) – If you can live on the portal like this, you know, we don't know yet how some of these high school guys in the 2021 or 2022 class are going to pan out. We think some of these guys have a real high upside, especially the in-state, the five in-state guys they got. uh, They're just developmental guys. And that happens. I mean, you you know, you you got guys that develop at different times. Um, But as we all know, you know, it's good. It's better. Uh, to maybe have more blue chippers and less developmental guys. You're still going to need developmental guys. I mean, that, that happens. That happens everywhere. It happens in Georgia. You know, you look at Georgia. They, they they start. I think they started a walk-on at safety half the year. Stetson Bennett obviously was a walk-on. <coughs> Excuse me. Banging my throat there. And then, obviously, Jordan Davis, their defensive tackle, was a three-star offensive lineman. Uh, now, a lot of no-brainers, though. Travon Walker, Nekobe Dean, five stars that played like five stars. Yeah, you know? and so that you know, Kylie Ringo five star that had the big play at the end. Happy for, actually happy for him cuz I've read that he has some personal issues. But he was a five star corner from Arizona. Darian Kendrick came in from Clemson was a five star guy. Uh, so so look, they had their share of elite talent, don't get me wrong, but you do need developmental guys to optimize what you're trying to do. Uh that happens at every school except Alabama, which Alabama's kind of got it down to, "Hey, we're going to maximize, take the best players, whatever. So in every school that happens. So, so you do need guys like that, especially when you're the University of South Carolina and you're recruiting the state because, you know, there's a lot of underrated guys from the state. If you look back to the NFL draft, uh, go pull the NFL draft from you know Clemson and South Carolina the past 10 years and you'll see a bunch of three-star guys from South Carolina at both schools that ended up getting drafted. And that's kind of what you want. But the next step, you know, in recruiting, if you know, there's a lot of next steps to take. This program has not arrived by any stretch. A great first year, great start, lots of enthusiasm, momentum. People are excited, a lot of positive energy, which is good. And a lot of that starts with the head coach, but uh, it also starts with, hey, you know, yeah, North Carolina wasn't great this year, but people weren't expecting South Carolina to be that good either, and. I'll remind everybody the Gamecocks were a twelve point underdog in that game. Uh, that was a big win. Uh, in programs that I think rise and build the right way, uh, that end up getting success, they keep the focus on the positive. And I've I've always told the story about Clemson. You know, during the five game Gamecock winning streak. You know, the ACC was down except Florida State. Clemson couldn't, Clemson couldn't seem to beat them, especially on the road. And then that one home game in 2013 that got ugly. But look, Clemson wouldn't beat Auburn. That Auburn team didn't win a conference game that year, but they beat them in Atlanta that season by a touchdown. And they celebrated that. You know, they beat an LSU team that looked uninspired in the Peach Bowl in 2012. They celebrated that. Now they beat a good Ohio State team in 2013. They celebrated that. Uh, they won 10 games. In 2014, they had the number one defense, smoked Oklahoma, and they celebrated that. Now, was it a great year by Clemson standards? Now, no. You know, the double-digit wins, though, and they were building, you know. So, as they kind of went on that journey toward building, they got better and better and better, and and, and eventually uh, the demons they had against South Carolina or against uh, Florida State or sometimes when they went on the road to Georgia Tech, you know, they exercised them in a big way. And, you know, again, I use Clemson because they're the one program that's risen. Uh, so, I, so, I I think, you know, you can look at Ole Miss under Hugh Freeze. I mean, they first year he was there, and they had had two really terrible years under Houston Nutt. First year he was there, uh, they went to the Birmingham Bowl, and I think they beat Pittsburgh in that game. And there were 40,000 Rebel fans there, you know. And then, then they just kept recruiting, kept recruiting, kept recruiting, <coughs> and ended up – uh ended up doing what they did. And they probably would still be up there, you know, had Freeze not gotten into trouble and the NCAA and all that. I'm not certainly not predicting that will happen to South Carolina uh, off the field. But, uh, you know, you, you do look at programs that rise and they, you know, they tend to celebrate the steps that they take. And I, and I feel that happening at South Carolina right now. Uh, I also think that, I you mean, know, i look back on Virginia Tech. I mean, there's a story about uh, – so a great story in The Athletic about – uh, one year they went to the music city bowl and played Alabama, you know, and it was freezing cold in Nashville, like bitterly cold. And just a miserable bowl experience, but they beat Alabama 34 to seven. And that was one of those games where, yeah, Alabama was not Alabama like you see now at the time, but that kind of got the Hokies going, you know, a couple of years later they were playing for the national championship with a quarterback named Michael Vick. Uh, so that that's kind of happening at South Carolina. But the next step is, obviously, more blue chippers in recruiting, more blue chippers at the high school level. Now, here's the good news. You know, the state of South Carolina is probably, right now, as far as known players, you know, the, the numbers aren't right there yet, but they will be. I mean, there will be some guys pop up. But for 2023, you know, you, you sort of look down the road, and you're like, well, you know, here here we go, there's – Xavier McLeod and Markey Anderson, Montique Range, those guys are all four-star guys. And then, you know, there'll be some other guys pop up. Obviously. You look at 2024, which uh could probably be a pretty solid, solid year, you know, as far as uh players go. Jaden Bradford from Chapin is there. Josiah Thompson, the offensive tackle. He's elite. Cam Pringle, another offensive tackle, is elite. Jaden Bradford's the quarterback from Chapin. Uh, Gamecocks are right there to land two of three, maybe three of three for those guys. That's way down the road, but it starts in South Carolina when when you're talking about blue chippers. Now, you look at 2023 as well. Gamecocks are in on it right now, early here, January 28th, on some blue chippers from North Carolina and Georgia. Uh, They'll get some players out of Florida. I think as I kind of watch and get feedback uh, you know, from sources and uh, from just kind of the general vibe, you know, I, I think in Virginia, with Virginia Tech having a new staff and Virginia having a new staff and South Carolina having a a, a nice finish, uh, because beating North Carolina means a lot in the state of Virginia and, and the state of North Carolina, you know, it, it does. Right? It may not mean a lot to a Georgia kid, but it means a lot. You know, it means a lot to South Carolina, you know. Uh, And you can kind of see some of the feedback, guys like four-star running back Ike Daniels out of Stafford. You know, there's players from the 757 that are visiting. So I I think, you know, and I I said this, you know, previously during this this cycle, that Beamer's going to be able to recruit Virginia better than probably any head coach they've had because of his connections there, Torian Gray's connections there. They're known. They're trusted. Uh, And that's part of the key in Virginia. Those kids will leave the state. But, you know, you want to know why North Carolina is signed to five of the top six this year? It's because of Dre Bly. You know, he's a guy from up there. He played in North Carolina. He's got a, quite a story to tell. You know, same as Shane Beamer. Hey, and Torian Gray. Hey, you know, we were Virginia Tech guys, but we're at South Carolina now, so this is a great place. SEC, you can sell that as well. So, I can kind of see it starting to turn in Virginia, uh, North Carolina, Uh, There's a handful of guys uh, that I think the Gamecocks have a shot at for 2023. It starts with uh, our boy, uh, Keith Sampson from New Bern in South Carolina. Keith's a guy that, uh, you know, he's number two in the state right now. You kind of look at him and it's like he does have a lot of love for the Alabamas and Ohio States in the world. And, and by the way, it's not the deepest year in North Carolina either. You, you got Noah Rogers, 78th in the country, Keith Sampson, 143. Edge player Rico Walker from Hickory, 187. Uh, Grant Tucker uh, from Charlotte Christian, uh, kind of an undersized linebacker at at 191. And that's not not that deep. It's not as deep as it normally has been or it has been in recent years uh, in the state of North Carolina. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Gamecocks are shooting their shot with Noah Rogers. I'd say they're a long shot right now. Uh, Keith Sampson, they're definitely in the thick of things for Monterio Hardesty as the New Bern connection and Jimmy Lindsay's all over him. Uh, you know, so you, you sort of look at it and it's like, well, you know, the Gamecocks, you know, they, they could find some players, uh, I think, uh, in those two states. Uh, Antonio Cotman from Colonial Heights, he's a corner I really like from Virginia. You know, I mentioned some of these other guys as well. So, my goodness, Penn State has three of the top nine from Virginia com- uh, committed. I think they're all from northern Virginia. They're all from Nova. But, uh, man, oh, man. So, you know, we'll see sort of what happens uh, in those two states. That's a, and, and they're going to work PA and, and Maryland. And uh, Nicholas Harbor uh, is a five-star, no doubter, one of the most freak athletes I think I've ever seen in my career as far as his numbers and stuff like that. You know, Alabama, everybody else has offered. Uh, he's out of D.C. You know, he camped, and Carolina was one of his early offers. I think he's still interested. And in, You know, Shane Beamer and the staff, they're they're by there today uh, to see him. So so there's some up and down the East Coast types of guys. Uh, you know, it looks like the game guys have gotten back into Jacksonville, with four-star Grayson Howard at linebacker. Uh, they're second for the four-star back web right now behind Georgia. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida. You know, kid named Jordan Hall. The Gamecocks are in on early, big time guy on the defensive line. So, you know, you, you sort of look at it, and there is an opportunity. Just so like basketball, I talked about earlier, where yeah, you know, the next four games not going to be easy, but probably not all going to go the Gamecocks' way. But there's an opportunity, and that's what you want. And so that's the next step. Um, so, so that's my take on maybe the lower class rank this year is. Uh, look, it's it's not an it's not a pretty number because you'd rather be higher than lower, obviously. But when you look at the players and you look at the potential of the players and you look at some of the battles they won for some of these guys, uh, and then you factor in the fact that they couldn't be on the road for the first six months and nobody could visit for the first six months of the cycle, uh, so you're behind anyway because you're a new staff. You know, you, you, you probably take it. Was it disappointing losing Antonio Williams? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, to Clemson. Uh, The other guys in state, Clemson had them wrapped up before these guys even got there. Uh, So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens, but I do believe, you know, there's an opportunity uh, within the state of South Carolina uh, and then also North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, Florida, uh, and then wherever else they may go, Texas, uh, wherever, uh, to piece together another really good class and, and to have a class that has more you know, blue chip high school players in 2023 and 2024. It, it, are we looking at a situation for 2023, like the 07 class where it shoots up into the top 10? You know, that was Spurrier's third, third class. it technically be Beamer's third class. And really Beamer's first full cycle. Cause like I said, last year, they won on the road. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't predict that right now, just because of the nature of things these days uh, and all that, you know, pe- people don't, People tend to really go by the offers <laughs> when they're ranking players now. And that twenty two thousand seven 2007 class actually had some guys that, that were all for guys, but then they had some guys that were ranked high that, you know, not a ton of offers, you know, uh, ESPN uh, based on film in that class, really ranked a lot of Gamecocks high. And uh, I think ESPN had a fourth and that facilitated, you know, uh, their ranking. I think it ended up seventh per composite that year. And, and you know, half that class didn't, didn't pan out. Half of it did. Laid the groundwork to win the SEC East. But it's not like they could have done with just that class winning that division. You needed a guy named Marcus Lattimore in there and some Stefan Gilmore types and, and things of that nature. So, you know, will it be a top ten class of 2023? I wouldn't predict that right now. But do I think, you know, very simply put, The next step is to sign more blue chippers, four star or above from the high school ranks. And I think it's accomplishable uh, in 2023 and 2024. And you just keep building and you keep working the portal too. Uh, As long as the rules are like they are with the transfer portal, uh, you'd be kind of short sighted not to use it. And, uh, you know, Alabama, as well as they do, uh, you look at, you know, their portal class is not. You know, super-duper strong, Um, you know, as far as numbers go. But it's super-duper strong as far as quality. I mean, those guys, uh, you know, I'll point it out to you right now. So, Alabama, you know, they got all the best players, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, blue-chip high school guys. I think only one guy is three stars. Uh, Got some guys like uh, Traquan Fagans and – who Antonio Kite, who uh, Gamecocks ran on early? Uh, but then you know, look at who they got out of the portal: Jermaine Burton, uh, one of Georgia's best receivers; Eli Ricks was a five-star corner coming out of high school; Jameer Gibbs uh, from Georgia Tech. You guys know we love him a lot. I think he can. I think he can win a Heisman at Alabama. To be honest, you know, there's just two kids from California and a kid from Georgia. Uh, when you're looking at where they went to high school. So it's a three-person class, but my goodness, I mean, it's a, that's as quality as quality can be when you're talking about that. So I, uh, you know, I look at it and I'm like, well, you know, that's uh, a game class. You need to keep doing what they're doing in the portal. But, you know, like I said earlier, uh, with regards to that team ranking, the, uh, you know, it's probably going to be ugly for this class, right? Uh, 13th is not where you want to be, but, when you kind of drill down the why, uh, I'm not sure that it's uh, I'm not sure that it's as bad as it looks. Uh, I think they're just missing, you know, one of those blue chippers up there, you know, and then you can make a case. Well, you know, two or three. If you Stone, Blanton, and Landon Sampson are probably better than ninety, you know, ninety-one and eighty-eight, uh, but we don't know that for sure. I mean, who knows? Uh, I'm not going to sit here and run down all the rankings and claim all the – everybody's underrated. No, but there's there's some underrated. Like, there are in every class for every school. But then there's some guys that, like I said, they're developmental guys. I mean, they're – you know, Nick Emanwara, a huge upside. He's just not there yet. And so you can't – you know, some can project him as four stars. Some don't want to. And and that's just kind of a rankings – preference i guess when i was ranking i kind of like to mix it up you got no-brainers you got guys that are in two years are going to be no-brainers but you know, that's just me and i had not done it in a while and i'm not going to get on my high horse or anything about it all right so there we go with the news and analysis on the inside of the gamecast podcast here on january 28th uh, i want to get in now to the mailbag it will be the uh i help consulting mailbag so that's uh, that's the deal. If you're a business owner, you're always looking to save size, I tell you, save size, save time and money. That's where I help consulting can help. They're a gamecock owned and operated company whose only mis- business mission excuse, excuse me with that is to help businesses save money on expenses. Whether you think you be you're paying too much for credit card processing, internet, insurance, or anything else, I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if I help can't save your business any money, don't pay them anything. That's right. If they cannot help your business, it's no cost. So there's no risk. Uh, Daniel Owens, who owns iHelp Consulting, saved a business 48 grand, 48 grand, man, annually. Uh, and how he gets paid, he just takes a percentage of the first year. So, in other words, you save 48 grand. You may have to kick him some, you know, for his services. And then you save that 48 grand perpetually. So, really, it's a great deal. 843 I'm oh, sorry. Wow. Daniel's going to kill me. 843-372-5713. 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? And uh, Daniel Owens, uh, I help consulting.com is that email address. So there's two ways to get an I help consulting mailbag. First and foremost, you can tweet to at the big spur pod. And there's a nice thread that uh, said some nice things. Uh, Cox talking Gamecocks. Uh, there's some other people trying to get in on this. <laughs> and uh, appreciate all the kind words. People said, who's your favorite podcast? Big Spur Pod, which is us inside the Gamecocks. Spurs Up show. Chris does a really good job there um gamecock central those guys obviously have a whole like media operation now jb goldwater you guys know um everybody i think does a good job and i appreciate all the kind words for me um, need to make this one a little more consistent because uh, i'd rather do more than two episodes a week uh just sometimes you know when you're balancing life and uh, all that good stuff, you know, you, the website versus this, you know, it's free content versus whatever. Oh, by the way, another news note, Dominic Hill, former Gamecock has transferred. He hit the portal after the season, he, he's transferred to temple temple, pretty good program, uh, up there in the American best of luck to him. The Orlando product, uh, really good, uh, really good dude and all that good stuff. Um, um, you know, so that's that. That's that. So anyway, so on the tweet, the tweeter, you know, there, there was a big thread about your favorite podcast. And I want to just tell everybody, uh, Grover, Carolina faithful, you know, JJ, Jay Gibb, all you guys, I really appreciate the kind words and thanks for tuning in. Your voices have been heard. And I do, you know, like I said earlier, I need to be more consistent. We need more consistency, more episodes, more content. And so, um, That's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do moving forward. And also, uh, always check out J.C. and Morgan. If you just like a good college football, read. it's me, Mike Morgan, and then Michael Haney, uh, who, those of you from Columbia, remember, is a producer. He's in Nashville now. Uh, He's joined the team there. We always have a good time talking uh, college football uh, on that. That's more of a general college football thing. Sometimes we don't talk about South Carolina at all. But uh, if you like college football talk, uh, I think you would enjoy that one. Uh, as well but yeah your voices have been heard and I certainly appreciate it there and we do have a question uh, off the tweet line Gabe half fan three JC how good is Dylan Lonergan if you're ever to get him how do you stack him up with who we would still have on the roster and at that time as recruits uh, ooh, Dylan's a really good athlete Uh, Two-sport athlete, baseball player as well. I think he's a little more polished maybe than Luke Doty coming out, that kind of level guy. Uh, Tanner Bailey and he are different guys. Uh, You know, the upside with Braden Davis is that he's 6'5", 215, has a strong arm, uh, Just really could run, just needs work, you know, development. He's a developmental guy. Uh, Tanner Bailey is probably a little more polished. Dylan Lonegren's is probably a little more polished than him. Um, so that kind of thing. So, so if you stacked them up as recruits, there's that. Look, if South Carolina can land Dylan Lonegren as their quarterback in this class, more power to them. And, and I think they're right there. Uh, I think that there's some quarterback dominoes that have to fall with other schools. However, I, 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 um, I think that could happen, you know, and, and I think Dylan uh, is being recruited very hard by the baseball program as well as the football program, you know, because there's a lot of guys that you know. Baseball did a good job with Stone Blanton. Don't get me wrong, but you know, Lautgren's been a guy. Baseball's been like fired up a lot about. So that's kind of a thing. Um, plus, he's uh, Gamecocks have some help with help with him there. Eric Kimry's been recruiting him. Uh, Philip Jones, who I think a former Gamecock. Uh, is his head coach at Snowville. So I, I think um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so there's some help there for Carolina. And so I think that, uh, you know, I think they said, how good is he? He's really good. You know, you just keep stacking. You know, quarterback, man, you can't. You got to get one every cycle now because next thing you know, three guys leave and, and you're playing a walk-on. <laughs> that's just kind of what happens. Uh, and so if they can get Dylan Lonergan, great. And that's another blue-chip guy that could really help. Uh, with the numerical rankings or or whatever. So that's good. Um, And uh, got all that. So anyway, that's my answer there, Gamecock3. The other way to get in on the mailbag, you can email me. And I appreciate it because I asked for more questions this time around and uh, got got to several of them. Okay, Brad says, Brad from Belton. J.C., was wondering what you think the chances are in the 2022 season of Carolina flipping the script on the comparable Eastern programs, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Missouri. I've heard you talking about the importance of gaining an edge over those programs, and I always tell my game kite buddies, Carolina doesn't need to worry about competing with Clemson or Georgia until we can consistently beat those three teams. I love your podcast and always look forward to a new one popping up. Thanks for what you do. By the way, these Wings and Casey is still open. And I agree it's one of the best game day restaurants in the Columbia area. Me and Carolina buddies go there quite often for baseball since so you can walk right across the river to the stadium. Yeah, I when I was in Columbia, baseball games were awesome. I'd just go into D's. And, oh man. Yeah, really good, really good stuff at D's. So so that's that. Tennessee, Kentucky, and Missouri. So these are all different types of series right now. And, and I was I was kind of looking through it the other day, kind of looking at historical trends and you know it's depressing from a Gamecock standpoint when you look at the last three years with all these teams uh because they've all lost you know and and started in 2019 when you know at that point and and that was a weird year because Will Muschamp managed to beat Kentucky and Georgia that year which he hadn't and then you get boat raced by 20 at Tennessee and Missouri (laughs) for whatever reason so uh uh, that was tough. That, that, that's, that's what was made 2019 an even more bitter pill to swallow because you think you'd beat North Carolina, App State, Missouri, Tennessee that year, but you didn't. And uh, that started a Tennessee streak. You know, the Tennessee win in Columbia, 2020 was rough. It was a game the Gamecocks probably should have won. Um, Kentucky this year, they certainly had their chances. The Wildcats seemed to want to give it away. So, so what do I think? Okay, so Tennessee, uh, I'll start with them. You know, they are now – they've now figured it out on offense. I don't know about defense up there. Uh, I, I think that uh, when you're in a situation like they have been in for, what, 13 years or so uh, – and I'll, I'll be honest, I was not sold on Josh Heupel uh, as a head coach uh, before – I mean, this is before Tennessee even thought about hiring him. You know, and because people talk about him as a potential candidate at Carolina, and I just I wasn't sold. Um, wasn't sold at what he did at Missouri as the OC. Went and sold at UCF. Uh, however, you got to give him credit for for what they did this year. I mean, they, they said, "All right, well, we're we're going to take what we've got and we're going to go really, really fast on offense and we're going to score a bunch of points and try to score a bunch of points." And if you don't like it, stop us. And some teams did not. Some teams did. Some teams did not. So, when you look at it, you know, Carolina obviously was not ready to stop them. And then, uh, in some ways, when you play a team like Tennessee, the, the, the way you stop them is with your offense. And, and South Carolina did that against North Carolina this year. Because North Carolina runs some tempo and all that. They had no answer uh, for Tennessee. And then, we all know what happened down 14 nothing down there on the goal line. And that was kind of something that negatively impacted the entire team until the third quarter. And by that point, it's 38-7. It's over. You know, Gamecocks fought back, but it was over. So, uh, you know, Tennessee's won three straight. In this series, since 2010, South Carolina's won three straight. Tennessee's won three straight. And South Carolina's won three straight. Now Tennessee's on, you know, if they win next year, it'll be four. But it's at Williams Bryce. Uh, interesting date for that game next season. Uh, it's the week before Clemson, so it's right there in that Auburn deal—the final home game, Senior Day, Senior Night, whatever. Uh, who knows what Tennessee's record will be by then, or South Carolina's for that matter. Uh, but you know, historical trend is three, 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 three. You know, the last few years, and I, I agree—you don't want, you know, you don't want Tennessee coming back. Uh, I thought seven and six was a great year for them, considering who all they lost. They played exciting football. Um, you know, beat Kentucky again. They they seem to own Kentucky. You know, uh, obviously they beat Missouri. So out of the three, I thought you know Kentucky was the best team last year. But Tennessee beat them both. Um, they lost to Florida, obviously, and and, and some other Ole, Ole Miss and some other schools. <laughs> uh, with Kentucky, <laughs> I hate to even say this. Because, you know, I felt like in Columbia, when you look at the series, it's usually really close and all that. And it's been close in Lexington, too, for the most part. But, but these guys, you know, they've got their quarterback back. They've got their running back, Rodriguez, back. They lost some on the offensive line. They got two good linebackers coming back. You know, they're going to play good defense. And their recruiting class was pretty good. You know, when, when, you, when you look at it, Kentucky was fourth in the league. Recruiting now, are all those guys going to play? I don't know. I think Dane Key is probably going to play, but they got some highly rated offensive linemen. Uh, they've got some guys out of Tennessee. I mean, if you look at their class uh, from the state of Tennessee, four three stars from Tennessee. Uh, they got Jovan Baker, receiver from Alabama, coming in. They got Deuce Hogan at quarterback from Iowa coming in. They got a defensive lineman from Ohio State, Darren Henry Young coming in. Tayshawn Manning from uh, from Auburn on defensive line, Tavian Robinson from Virginia Tech, who had a good year. So they get some receivers coming in that can help them immediately. They plug those holes on the O line. I think they're going to be just as good. I uh, really, honest to God, think that Kentucky, it, it, you know. It's easy to say, well, they won ten again this year, so this is one of their best years ever, and uh, all that good stuff. But I, I think they could next year could be where they really kind of make some noise. Their schedule, non-conference, is not hard. You got Miami, Ohio, Youngstown State, Northern Illinois. That's what they do. They play three cupcakes at Louisville uh, every year. Uh, road games at Florida uh, in the second week of the season. Who knows what Florida is going to be like uh, at Ole Miss? They're rebuilding. Uh, at Tennessee, obviously, that's a bugaboo for them. And then they go to Missouri. But other than that, everybody's at home. Uh, and they got Georgia the week before the Louisville game, right there at the end. So, you know, that game's October 8th, you know, for Carolina. Up there, one, two, three, four, five, game six. I You know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I I think Kentucky may be a beast. Next season, uh, you know, in, in terms of just how they're setting up, I certainly think South Carolina will be much improved, uh, especially on offense. I, I And look, you look at it, too, you know, if I had to talk about those three games, I'd say, you know, definitely, you know, and Missouri had a good recruiting class as well. I just kind of look at that game and I'm like, you know, Carolina probably should have beaten them two out of the last three, even the tw- even the 2020 Team lost 17 to 10. It's in Columbia. You just kind of get the feeling, hey, you know, South Carolina needs to get this Missouri thing solved. Columbia, South Carolina next year probably will be. Uh, Just looking at how the two teams match up. Now, look, the Brady Cook kid taking over quarterback for them is good. They've got a good team. But I would think Missouri, there's a good chance to change that one. Tennessee, it's just too late in the season for me to say win or loss. You know, I would think, you know, South Carolina would be better prepared to handle the tempo, to handle what they do, uh, especially that late in the year, you know, when you're kind of battle-tested and used to it. And then Kentucky, I just, you know, it's tough for me to be confident about it given what they have coming back and then their work in the portal, you know, to fill some needs, especially at receiver, you know, because they had they did lose Wondell Robinson, who's a special, special guy, you know, but the guys they got coming in are pretty good too. You know, so if there's one I'm not as confident about, it's there because it's in Lexington and, and whatnot, and that's that sucks because of, of the three. You know, you, Kentucky's something they need to start taking care of. So, so there's that. Thank you uh, for that email, Brad. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, uh, I talked about next steps in recruiting uh, in my article. I'll have about next steps on the Big Spur in the near future. Beating Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, it's going to be it's going to be a next step kind of thing. Rob says hypothetical question. Rewind to when South Carolina got Muschamp and Georgia got Kirby in a Twilight Zone kind of way. Had Georgia hired Beamer and we hired Kirby, two questions: Would Beamer have built a roster to winning it all, just like Kirby did? And two, would Kirby have built our roster to win it all at Carolina? My answer to those two questions is probably no. Um, I think Kirby Smart knows how to recruit well because he's done it, but he's done it at Alabama and Georgia and LSU. Uh, I think (laughs) sometimes you need to know like where you're at and how to make it work recruiting-wise. And, you know, Shane Beamer, could could he have recruited at a high level at Georgia? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Would they have won it all and played for it another time? I don't know. You know, it it would would just have depended. Kirby Smart inherited such a good situation and then started stacking talent on top of talent. Uh, And then this year, you know, not only did, you know, they recruit well, all those guys hit. You know, in other words, there were no busts. Like, Trayvon Walker was not a bust. N'Kobe Dean was not a bust. Uh, there were some guys that left that program that were rated five stars. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, just like there's a lot of Lincoln-Riley talk, uh, or there was, uh, just because Tanner interviewed him back in the day, and then he got Oklahoma, won all those games, now he's at Southern Cal. You know, it's, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison when you're talking about, you know, how do we get Oklahoma – over the hump in the playoff or how do we get Georgia to the playoff, uh, you know, versus just being the big 12 champion. And and, and Lincoln never did that at Oklahoma. I mean, he went to the playoff, but same thing as Stoops, but we won the big 12 a lot, but but that was, I mean, they never got over the hump. In fact, last time they got destroyed by LSU. <laughs> um, Kirby, basically the idea is get to the playoff and win it. And, and they got to the playoff in 2017 and we're, Close to winning it then, and then they won it, finally. First time in 40 years. Because there was just not that – when he took over, he, you know, he took over for Rick. Rick had a lot of good young players in the program They won 10 games. There was an adjustment year where he went 8-5, and five, I think. And then, boom, the next year, they're in the national championship game, largely with players Mark Rick recruited, okay? And – so there was talent there and they got the most out of it. Chubb and Michelle stayed healthy. They were able to do it with a true freshman quarterback. Awesome, right? Uh, you know, like, did they benefit from Auburn being the best team in the country? Uh, and it's crazy because they actually benefited from Auburn beating the crap out of them. <laughs> uh, I think 40 to 17 was that final. Uh, Auburn was playing as well as anybody. That's when Malzahn got the ridiculous contract. Uh, came back the next week and beat Bama. Uh, you know, won the Iron Bowl, won the division. And so did Georgia benefit. And then I think I think one of Auburn's running backs got hurt. So their run game kind of took a step back when they played Georgia uh, at Mercedes-Benz. Georgia won the league and got in, and then Alabama got it. So so did they benefit a little bit from that? Yeah, but that's best football, man. You know, you, you don't like I said earlier about Carolina beating Auburn, Florida and North Carolina this year, you don't, know, you don't, you don't, you don't just, you know, say, well, we don't want those. We don't want those wins. <laughs> um, you know, my, my gut feeling is, and this is nothing against Kirby smart that it would have been the same thing as Will Mustier. Um And my concern would have been not that Kirby couldn't recruit, not that Kirby couldn't have run the football program, not that he wouldn't have had a great plan, Uh, My concern would have been offense because, you know, Muschamp at least after the Roper situation, you know, McClendon had sort of a high flying attack, you know, and then he went and hired Bobo and kind of went the other direction. But, you know, I I, I just, I I think it would have been very ugly offensively uh, with Kirby Smart in those early years, especially. And, And I think that, even though Roper was there, you know you had a spark with Jake Bentley, uh, and Jake could kind of help out with some of those things. Obviously, there was no excuse for 2017 when you had a bunch of talent <laughs> didn't make it work. Uh, you know, would, would they have had? A, would Kirby have hired Bobby? Would they have had Jake Bentley? I don't know. You know, so so th- there's a lot of questions about that, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that. A guy that's sixty six and fifteen, uh, that won a national title at a program that hadn't won one in forty years, and that played for another already in his short career. I, I'm not going to sit there and tell you Will Muschamp's a better coach than that guy because the record speaks for itself. I'm just saying that certain people in certain places work, whereas they may not work elsewhere. There's Steve Spurrier. It's interesting, you know, because he he made it work at South Carolina. But if you look at how he made it work, he made it work differently than he did at University of Florida. Um, a lot different. So it was, uh, you know, I, there's some guys that win everywhere. There's some guys that you know maybe don't. You know, Jimbo Fisher that's a that's a question. Is he gonna uh, if they continue to recruit in the top three? Is that gonna put him over the top? like at Florida State, in a division that's much tougher. You know, SEC West is ridiculous. You know, a lot of questions there. So, you know, that's that's a hypothetical I've thought about a lot. because, And so so my two takeaways from that are, that to, to answer your question, no one either one. And then the other thing about it is, is that, you know, while I am not convinced Kirby would have done any better at Carolina than Muschamp, that doesn't mean I'm saying that Muschamp's a better coach than Kirby, if that makes any sense. Uh, Kirby Smart's uh, uh, track record speaks for itself 66 and 15, like I said, national title, uh, SEC championships, or one SEC, because they only won one SEC, right? Uh, and then the year they won the SEC, Bama won the nat- Natty. So, uh, you know, hats off to them and, and what they've done. Uh, But if you're talking about that South Carolina gig, you know, it's really easy to look at hindsight and say, ah, South Carolina could have had a Kirby Smart and uh, they weren't going 66 and 50. (laughs) I'll tell you that right now. That roster was uh, not anywhere close to Rick's roster that that Kirby inherited. Uh, And then Kirby was able to go recruit or whatever. So uh, it's kind of fun to talk about, but, you know, uh, I think South Carolina, though, with Beamer and, and his staff and, and kind of what they're doing. You know, Beamer, w- what makes him a good fit is that he's been at places like Virginia Tech and like South Carolina and like Mississippi State, along with being at Georgia and Oklahoma. Um, so so he kind of knows the lay of the land when it comes to, to to recruiting and how to build a roster at at places that aren't necessarily blue bloods. Uh, and I like that about him. And his staff is kind of the same way. You know, you do have Torian Gray. has been at Florida. You know, Steph's been at Arkansas. That's a, And the SMU, those are similar places. Greg Atkins has been at Tennessee in the glory years. But, you know, most of these guys uh, have been at places where you you got to go find players. Taylor Edwards, uh, the director of player personnel, who's outstanding. This is one of the best they've – this guy's the best they've had at this particular spot and and, and this director player personnel thing is way more important than it used to be because you've got such a higher volume of players. You got the portal, you got this, that, and the other, you know, you got to have a guy in there that knows what he's doing. And Taylor Edwards to me, uh, no offense to anybody else. You know, Robbie Lyle's did a great job when he was at South Carolina doing it. Matt Lindsay, certainly, uh, you know, his track record speaks for itself. Drew Hughes with the Jaguars and the NFL. I mean, all those guys uh, did, a, did a really good job in this role. But I, I haven't seen many like Taylor Edwards. And you know where Taylor Edwards came from? Uh, yeah, he was at Alabama a year, but he came from Maryland. You know, Maryland's got to go get it done somehow. So uh, that's why I think the, the Beamer staff is really set up well. Uh, like I didn't mention earlier, though, there, there is a, in the analysis segment, there, there's a next step. There's always a next step. Do they need to sign more Blue Shepherds out of high school? Absolutely, and they'll tell you that too. Uh, and that's no offense to the guys they've got because uh, I think it's going to be a hell of a class in time. But, yeah, that's the next step. There's a next step. Things aren't always for you. are building. You know, you're, you're building. Off to a good start, but you're still building. So, thanks, Rob Rojo. I appreciate that. Um. All right, so – Andrew <laughs> has no questions. this is a funny story, he's driving back for a bachelor party in Nashville when the group I was with stopped in a Chick-fil-A right in the middle of dog territory. I've spotted a Gamecock fan, decked out in Gamecock gear and had to greet a fellow fan behind enemy lines. We started talking football and discovered we listened to the same podcast, this very one, this guy even said his question, made it on the air and I recognized his name as I just listened to that very podcast. Wait, that was you? I said, as we both bust out laughing, the odds of us meeting like this. Thank you, JC, for the wonderful podcast and helping to bond fellow Gamecock fans. Shout out to my new friend, Ashley. All right, man. Thank you. That makes my day. That makes my day because, you know, you always talk about your purpose in life. And if you read, you know, psychology or, you know, how to be a a better mentally healthy person or successful person or or whatever as as a man these days. Uh, one of the big things is to be aligned according to your purpose. And, you know, I I spent a lot of time in my career working my career, loving my career, uh, doing recruiting or whatever. And, you know, but then I I have a lot of other interests as well in, in life. And, you know, recruiting and what I do now has never just been a job. I've enjoyed it. It was my hobby that became my job. But I struggled with that for a long time and about five years ago, I had to do some soul searching about it. And I came to figure out this, you know, drill it now, you know, what is your purpose in life? My purpose in life is to have a positive impact on others. Now, whether that's in my personal life, being a great friend or boyfriend or husband or whatever, uh, boyfriend right now, you know, uh, or whether that's being, you know, someone that's there for, for my friends when they're having a hard time or my family being a good brother, son, Uh, or whatever that or or, or just being kind uh, to people I don't know, and and going above and beyond to make a positive impact or like what I'm doing now. Um, Because that's part of it, too. You know, people enjoy listening to the podcast, mostly people enjoy reading articles, they enjoy hearing about the Gamecocks or college football. Uh, So that makes a positive impact. Uh, If if I do karaoke, that is positive impact, you know, Uh, that kind of thing. And so, This type of email really reinforces to me, you know, that I'm aligned with my purpose at this point in my life, that kind of thing. All right, so Andrew also has a question because he sent a follow-up. He says, since the day Beamer was hired, what is the single biggest action he has taken to improve the state of the program where it is today? Of course, it's a combination of many actions, but which one stands out to you the most? Is it the hiring of a single coach, signing a major transfer recruit, standout win? Excited to hear your answer and for the future with Shane leading the charge to greatness. Uh, I'm going to say this, his off-the-field staff, and I mentioned Taylor Edwards earlier, uh, retaining Jessica Jackson was big, retaining Connor Shaw, and his role was big, uh, getting former Gamecocks like Pat DiMarco, Byron Gerardo, uh, uh, Shaq Wilson back in the program, uh, also, uh, Luke Day and his staff, uh, outstanding, and Derek Moore to me uh, is worth probably two recruits a cycle, and I was told that when he was hired, and it's happened. Okay, uh, and and I, you know, I give him some credit. Stone Blanton had a great relationship with Demo. I mean, there there's there's just something to be said about those people that work behind the scenes. And this is nothing against the coaches that are out there recruiting and coaching and all that. But, but I think that type of infrastructure that, that just all those people I just mentioned, they live the culture that, that Beamer's trying to instill. And I, I read some smart ass uh, column here in Chicago where I am right now uh, about the bears and, he was like, culture is a meathead term. And I, I, I just this is why nobody takes sports journalists seriously anymore because they're so freaking elitist and they can't relate to the fans. And it's not a meathead term uh, if you know what you're talking about. Now, you can throw it around like an idiot. Culture, culture, what is that? You know, what is that? No, culture is important in any organization. And everybody will tell you that. And just because it gets repeated by people that don't know what the hell they're talking about, you know, doesn't mean it's a meathead term. So anyway, I doubt the no, I guess I think his name's Fishman or something like that. Uh I doubt he's listening to this podcast. But I read that and it pissed me off, you know, because I was like, no, no, that's not. I used I use the term culture all the time, and uh, I'm the least meat headed type person there is. Uh, you know, and there's nothing against meatheads either, man. If you I'm friends with a lot of folks you'd call meatheads, they're the freaking fun people. Uh but yeah, crap that's just so elitist, anyway. That that sidetracked me a little bit, but yeah, when you have people like that on the in, inside, the, when people come to your campus, not just the players or the parents, the guardians, the the, the, the football, high school football coaches, whoever, uh, and you have those people that live it that are that dynamic, they can have a conversation with you. And you, you kind of, you know, the first time I had a conversation with Derek Moore, okay, and this was 13 years ago, I felt like something important had happened to me. You know, you just walk away with that feeling. You know, and and I, I don't know, you know, what exactly that meant, other than I've been friends with him for 13 years, and he's a great guy. And, uh, I care about him as a person, not just because he came to Carolina. I'm, I'm glad Shane Beamer hired him at Carolina, um, but that kind of thing. You know, I've, I've known Connor Shaw and his family since, since he was, you know, since 2002, almost 20 years. You know, I know what he's all about. Pat DiMarco, I, I know what that guy's all about. You know, Shaq Wilson, Byron Jarrett, I know what those guys are all about. Uh, Luke Day, you know, you know what that guy's all about. He gets a lot of airtime. you know, uh, and then his staff. And so those are the most important things I think Beamer's done. And, and you know, I think you can go get uh, a great offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, whatever you want. I know there's a lot of questions about that, uh, especially, I mean, on offense. But uh, I think to, to get players and to – you know, hold the culture, you know. And and, and this team this past year, guys, wasn't – you know, they took some beatings, right? And just when you thought, oh, this is going to take the wind out of the sails, they'd get up off the mat and go compete. I mean, you know, the Florida game came after the A&M game and after an open day. The Auburn game came after a, a gut-wrenching loss at Missouri and after being down 14 nothing early. All right, the North Carolina game uh, came after uh, you know not only Jason Brown had left, but the uh, shutout loss to Clemson at home. And these guys just kept battling, and, and that that is what culture is. You know, it, it's not necessarily about going seven and six or ten and three or whatever. You know, you you can fall back on that in hard times, and I've said that many times about football. It's not that's not necessarily what happens. It's how you respond, and that's sports, life, whatever. It's not what happens. It's how you respond. I know Muschamp said that a bunch, man, but, you know, that says that as Nick Saban. You know, it says that just about anybody that will tell you about things like being aligned according to your purpose and all that. So, uh, anyway, I didn't mean to go on a rant because I just uh, reading that from in the Tribune the other day, and it wasn't even about, you know, anything important it was just a guy taking a shot at a football term which i'm like why are you even in this business why are you you know anyway that's a that's that's an all-season episode all right one more belmont Kite 99 99er my man vj here's a random one for you to chew on in late january thinking back on the best return specialist through the years aside from debo samuel most of these guys seem to be younger, faster receivers and running backs and not necessarily feature stars. Ace a Sanders comes to mind. Watching Josh Van field punts this year was absolutely maddening. My 15 year old would say, Okay, dad, it's fourth down. Let's watch the punter kick it 38 yards and Van back up and let it bounce six times to go for 65. This became a bad joke and came true several times. We'd be yelling, Just run up and make the fair catch. Uh, watching Juju on kickoffs, on the other hand, was game changing. Uh, the guy would go to top gear and pop out the 25 or make a cut and get to the 50. Why do we have such a hard time putting dynamic playmakers that are young in the pump return role coaching the basics and then the guys do what they do best. Um, sorry, Belmont. I- I'll say this. You know, first and foremost, it was maddening to me during the Must Champ era that, I mean, like Brian Edwards to me was fine. You want to let him turn punts fine. He wasn't terrible, but, you know why wasn't Jam Williams or, you know, t- returning him or one of your running backs or somebody like that? So that, that you know, I'm with you, and it's been a while. And Van, you know, to me was, you know, maybe you could have gone with Juju, somebody like that. And you're right about Juju on kickoffs. So my answer to you is this: Usually, when this happens, because I went, I went to the end of the earth trying to find out why Jam Williams was not the punt returner. Okay. And basically the same answer I got is the answer I'm going to give you about Van and everybody else. These days, guys drop footballs on punts. You watch, you know, even the pros, they're not as, they don't do it as often because they'll get cut. You watch college football, one of the things, even if you're a heavy favorite that could kill you in a game, uh, is a guy dropping a punt. And so I think they intentionally went conservative with that because Van was sure-handed. Uh, and all that, and he does have ability, but, you know, you're right. It's, you know, they didn't do much. I mean, all the rest of the special teams I thought were good. You know, Carolina, you know, there's not many teams getting major opportunities in the kickoff return game anymore because, you know, people usually just kick it through the end zone. I think that's by design. They moved it up. So, you know, for some reason, people think all these injuries happen on kickoffs and they don't. Now, there's some that do, you know, but honestly, every year you hear about, well, should they be returning kicks? Because the injury risk and, you know, if somebody gets hurt, it's usually not during a kickoff. I don't know. That's another subject. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. And uh, Juju McDowell, uh, I think they're probably going to end up getting a commitment from a preferred walk-on, Dante Miller from Columbia University, the Ivy League today. He's a fast guy, running back, smaller running back, but good you're deep at running back. Maybe, maybe Lavoisier Carroll's the punt return. I don't know. I know that, but I, uh, and maybe Van, you know, has a little bit different approach, uh, this season. So, you know, I, I don't know, you know, punt return, I, you know, the best answer to that question is cause we, we know Pete Limbo is a really sharp guy and knows, uh, the return game and all that, uh, and after searching for the answer to that question over two stabs and several years, uh, the reality is, you know, the to be the punt returner, you have to catch the football first and foremost because they're not going to risk fumbling it back to the other team. You know, it's just not worth it. You know, you, you say, well, you know, they're leaving 10, 15 yards on the field doing what they're doing. Yeah, they are. Uh, but you live with it because you don't want somebody dropping them. And we saw Marion Brown do that. Now that was something that kind of hit him. He probably, you know, that was not good, but that type of thing, my understanding is that type of thing was happening with some of these punt return guys um in practice. Uh and you know, that we saw in that one game. And so they went with Van. And so that's it. So that's that's the deal. And uh, that's a great question, though. Great question there, Bill because I uh, I I knew where you're coming from. I have the same feelings, but the answer is. Got to catch the football. Got to catch the football on a punt. They're not going to risk it. You, you see it. You turn on the TV on Saturdays and you see it. And sometimes on Sundays too. Sundays too. All right. Thanks for the question. And that will wrap up tonight's edition of the Inside the Gamecast podcast. I'm JC Sherbert. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in today, and, and thank you for listening to this podcast. And thanks for the kind words on Twitter about it. You know, like a. My philosophy normally is uh, I, I definitely want everybody to listen to my podcast, this podcast, definitely. Uh, but I, you know, if you, if you listen to several, that's even better because that kind of helps all of us in, in the Gamecock podcast ecosystem. Uh, so if you like podcasts, you like to hear about the Gamecocks, you know, please you know, check out some of those other guys that they mentioned too. I mean, I don't know some of these guys, but I know some of them. So, and they're all good people, uh, and know their stuff, and are a little bit different than what I do. Uh, we're all kind of different in our approach and stuff, but it's uh, it ends up being worth it. So, thanks, guys. Uh, don't forget, there was a J.C. and Morgan this week. It was really good, uh, where we talked a lot talked about some Netflix stuff, some off-topic stuff, but also quarterback recruiting, star ratings, uh, that kind of thing. Be sure to check that out wherever you check out. Podcast also had an epic uh epic appearance on JB and Goldwater this week. Uh, you can get those guys on Apple Pods as well. As you can get this one on Spotify, Apple Podcast, uh 24-7 sports, wherever you go to find podcasts, you can find it's on Audible as well. If you listen to audiobooks, um, like I do, you can get this podcast on Audible as well. Thanks, folks. Have a wonderful weekend. Holla at you soon.